Tonight on Throwback Thursday, as Tune FM celebrates 50 years, 1980. Former Beatle John Lennon is dead. He was shot a short time ago outside his Manhattan apartment building. He died at Roosevelt Hospital. Police have a suspect in custody. We're discussing three major events from 1980, including the assassination of former Beatle John Lennon, the eruption of Mount St. Helen, and the disappearance of Azaria Chamberlain. He just might have damaged or mauled the baby, and I ran towards the tent. I was only five yards away from it, perhaps. Last. And I looked in a carry basket, and she wasn't there. When we... This is 50 Years of Tune FM, 1980. You are listening to 106.9 Tune FM. It's Jake here with you this afternoon for a much quieter episode of Throwback Thursday today. Unfortunately, uh, many of our planned guests could not join us on the air, so we're going to be discussing a number of different events that took place in 1980. Uh, that is now, what, 40 years ago? Uh, and there's three events in particular that we're going to be focusing on this afternoon that all uh, really had a big part to play in history. The first of those is the assassination of Beatle John Lennon on the 8th of December 1980. We will be going on to speak about the eruption of Mount St. Helen and, of course, about the disappearance of Azaria Chamberlain here in Australia. But we will, of course, be starting off with John Lennon, his assassination on the evening of the 8th of December 1980, which you might remember well if you were around at that time and were a Beatles fan. He was fatally shot in the archway of the Dakota, which was his residence in New York City. The perpetrator was Mark David Chapman, who was actually an American Beatles fan. He traveled to New York City from Hawaii, and he stated that he was angered by Lennon's lifestyle and public statements. As many people know, and was as, as was very public at the time, John Lennon had a particularly interesting and unique uh, lifestyle and view of the world. Um, he was known as a little bit of a, a hippie and an anti, definitely had a lot of anti-war sentiments. Um, and he made uh, particularly some much publicized remarks about the Beatles being, quote, more popular than Jesus. And uh, there were also some lyrics in his songs, God and Imagine, that expressed a lot of anti-religious sentiment as well. So uh, John Lennon was a bit of a divisive figure, as you might imagine, uh, particularly in uh, the late 1970s and the very beginning of the 1980s. The murderer, uh, Chapman, said he was inspired by the fictional character Holden Caulfield from J.D. Salinger's famous novel, The Catcher in the Rye. He planned the killing over the course of several months. He waited for John Lennon at the Dakota on the morning of the 8th of December. Um, during the evening, he actually met Lennon, who signed his copy of the album Double Fantasy. And later that night, when they returned to the Dakota, he uh, fired five hollow point bullets, four of which hit Lennon in the back. Um, and he was pronounced dead upon arrival at Roosevelt Hospital in New York. Um, there was a massive amount of grief on an unprecedented scale, as you can imagine. We've been exploring over the last uh, 10 years of this, this program and of the music that we've been playing over the last uh, 10 years worth of content during our celebration of Tune's 50th. The, the popularity of the Beatles was absolutely astounding and and we explored a little bit earlier in 1970 the the separation of the Beatles um, and most of them I, I believe all of them going on to do um, some solo work during the 1970s um, 
so it was an absolutely uh, an unprecedented event and the the grief was absolutely astonishing crowds gathered outside roosevelt hospital and in front of uh the dakota uh, at least three Beatles fans are known to have committed suicide directly as a result of John Lennon's assassination, which was, um, you know, just to add even further tragedy to uh, what was a, a shocking event. Um, Lennon was eventually cremated at the Ferncliff Cemetery in Hartsdale, New York. Um, and instead of holding a funeral, his wife, Yoko Ono, requested 10 minutes of silence around the world. Um the, the perpetrator, Chapman, pleaded guilty of murdering Lennon. He was given a sentence of 20 years to life. He has been denied parole 10 times after he became eligible in the year 2000. So, um, as you might imagine, it, it was, it was uh, John Lennon was a very divisive uh, figure at the time, as, as we've mentioned. Um, it was however pretty universally accepted that the, that this was a an artist that the world was going to mourn and miss very greatly um and there's there's a great deal of um irony about the situation as well particularly given the testimony of Mark David Chapman who was uh, such a big uh, uh, Beatles fan but also a bit of a um, religious fanatic and a, a, a very much disagree with a lot of Lennon's anti-religious sentiments and the the statement in 1966 about the group being more popular than Jesus. He was a former security guard from Honolulu, um, and he he became enraged by Lennon's infamous remarks and his uh, various different uh, anti-religious sentiments, particularly in his later uh, solo work. There's a, there's a lot of very interesting uh, facts about the, the day that the killing took place as well. There's a portrait by Annie Leibovitz of John Lennon and Yoko Ono, which was taken on the day of the killing. Um, so that's that's always very fascinating to, to look at. Um, but there was there's a, there's a statement by Chapman himself that said that Lennon was actually very kind to Chapman when he met earlier on the day of the killing. He was very kind and was very patient um, that he had a limousine waiting and that uh, Lennon took his time to get the pen out and sign his album and ask him if he needed anything else. And he said no. And he was, he was apparently a very cordial and decent man. But it's interesting um, to, to note that this was labeled as an assassination, as you might know if you've uh, done law and that sort of thing, that the, the legal definition or the, the definition that defines what an assassination is as opposed to a murder is the political motive behind the killing. Um, that is the kind of figure that John Lennon became. He was not just an artist, but he was a political figure because he he got involved in in, in politics in a very, very big way, making a lot of uh, anti-war sentiments, as, as we've said, um, making a lot of very, very public and very um, powerful statements about the way the world was was corrupt and the way the world should be. And I think there's a lot that we can take away from John Lennon's later works, such as songs like God and Imagine, um, that while they, they angered a lot of people, as we can obviously see in, in the case of the perpetrator, uh, Mark David Chapman, and I'm sure uh, a number of others like him, but they, they also inspired a lot of others. So um, a tragic day and a, a very big day in history, uh, the 8th of December, 1980, the assassination of English musician John Lennon in New York City 
formerly of the Beatles. As I've mentioned, today is going to be a much uh, briefer and much uh, less uh, in-depth version of Throwback Thursday, as unfortunately we were not able to be joined by a number of the guests who uh, we hoped to have on the show. Coming up after a quick song break, I'm going to be talking about the eruption of Mount St. Helen in 1980. And a little later in the show, I will be talking about the disappearance of Azaria Chamberlain here in Australia, which is uh, one of the more famous events in Australian history. So that will be good to talk about as well. You are listening to 106.9 Tune FM, and we'll go to a quick song break. I'll be back with you shortly. You've been listening to Throwback Thursday 1980. Elsewhere in 1980, the Rubik's Cube puzzle toy debuted internationally during January at a toy fair in London. The toy had been created by Erno Rubik in the 1970s and was first patented as the Magic Cube in Hungary in 1975. The colourful puzzle was soon picked up by Ideal Toys to develop the toy for a global market. After its introduction in early 1980, the Rubik's Cube hit toy stores in May of that year. By the following year, it was a huge success, causing a worldwide craze. Competitions for who could solve the puzzle the fastest emerged, and it still remains popular today. You're listening to 106.9 Tune FM. This is Funky Town by Lip Sync.
You're listening to Throwback Thursday 1980. Mount St. Helen, John Lennon, and Azaria Chamberlain. You are indeed listening to Throwback Thursday 1980. We've talked about John Lennon. We're going to move on to the eruption of Mount St. Helens on the 27th of March 1980. On that day, a series of volcanic explosions and pyroclastic flows began at Mount St. Helens, which if you don't know where that is, that is in uh, Washington State in the United States, uh, the the northwestern United States. Um it initiated as a series of blasts from the summit and it escalated all the way. It, it took a very long time commencing on the 27th of March and escalating all the way till the 18th of May when a major explosive eruption took place. It had a volcanic explosivity index of five. That is the most significant eruption to occur in the United States since uh, 1915 at the time. It has often been declared as the most disastrous volcanic eruption in American history. It was preceded by a two-month series of earthquakes and steam venting episodes uh, caused by an injection of magma at shallow depth below the volcano that caused uh, a large bulge and a fracture system on the mountain's north slope. So a large amount of volcanic activity in the months preceding uh, the ultimate eruption. The impact, there was approximately 57 deaths, about 1.1 billion US dollars in property damage, which accounting for inflation is about 3.4 billion US dollars today. It caused a collapse of part of the mountain itself on the volcano's northern flank, and it deposited ash in 11 US states and five Canadian provinces. That is a lot. In, in case you are uh, not aware, the Canadian provinces in particular are very large uh, bits of area. Um, we're talking about the nearest to Washington state would be British Columbia, which is a rather large uh, area that extends quite a significant way to the north. And it was deposited uh, with ash from that volcanic eruption. It was an absolutely astonishing uh, eruption. The column from the eruption rose 24 kilometers into the atmosphere. Um, at the same time, snow, ice, and several entire glaciers on the volcano melted, um, creating a bunch of mudslides, volcanic mudslides called lahars or lahars. I'm, I may be pronouncing that wrong. Uh, that reached as far as the Columbia River, which is about 80 kilometers away from Mount St. Helens itself. Um, less severe outbursts continued all the way into the next day. Uh, there were other large eruptions a little bit later that year, but they were not as destructive. The thermal energy released during the eruption is equal to about 26 megatons of TNT. Um, so it's it's this incredible massive eruption, one of the biggest eruptions we've ever seen, and obviously the impact being uh, made even more huge by the fact that it, it took place in what is... Uh, ultimately a very densely populated area of the United States there on the West Coast. Um, so as we mentioned, approximately 57 people were killed directly as a result of the eruption, including innkeeper Harry R. Truman, photographers Reed Blackburn and Robert Landsberg, and geologist David A. Johnston. 
hundreds of square kilometers were reduced to wasteland, causing over a billion US dollars in damage. Um, that collapse uh, in the, the northern flank of the volcano itself that I mentioned, you can actually see it today. Um, if, you, if you go to Mount St. Helens and you view it from Monitor Ridge, you can see the, what's, what's called the Cone of Devastation or referred to as Crater, uh, in, in a place that is referred to as Crater Glacier. It is a huge crater that is opened up to the north of the Lava Dome um, and it's, it's absolutely astonishing to look at and to think that that all took place because of how huge this eruption actually was. It was a, it was a bit of a um, an interesting geological phenomenon too, because Mount St Helens had re remained dormant uh, since about the 1840s and the 18 or the 1850s. Um, there were several small earthquakes beginning in March of 1980, indicating that there might have been a bit of volcanic activity uh, below the volcano. And there was a shallow mag magnitude 4.2 earthquake centered below the volcano's north flank. Uh, so there was a little bit of forewarning, um, but it was 123 years of hibernation for that volcano. There had been no activity in 123 years. It was this absolutely astonishing eruption. You can hear the uh, the sound of the eruption. It was recorded uh, from 140 miles away in the town of Newport, Oregon, um, and you can you can listen to that if you head online. There's uh, a series of booms and rumbles, and it, it's it's terrifying to listen to. So yes, one of the largest uh, volcanic eruptions, uh, one of the most destructive volcanic eruptions taking place. In, uh, in history or in recorded history uh, back in 1980 with the ultimate eruption taking place on the 16th of May. As a direct result, uh, it, as we said, this is the most deadly and economically destructive volcanic eruption in the history of the United States of America. Um, US President Jimmy Carter actually went and surveyed the damage and said it looked more desolate than a moonscape. Um, there were more than 9.4 million cubic meters of timber that was damaged or destroyed, mainly not by lava or by uh, ash, but by the lateral blast. The explosion uh, just shattered it. Uh, at least 25% of the destroyed timber was salvaged, but most of it is, is gone. As many as 1,500 elk and 5,000 deer were estimated to be killed. An estimated 12 million salmon fingerlings died when their hatcheries were completely destroyed. In total, Mount St. Helens released 24 megatons of thermal energy, seven of which were a direct result of the blast itself, which is about 1,600 times the size of the atomic bomb dropped on Hiroshima. So um, if you'd like an idea as well, if you've been to the United States, just quickly before I finish up talking about Mount St. Helens, uh, if you've been to the United States and you have some idea of the, uh, the, the, the way it's laid out, maybe you can get up Google Maps right now. Uh, so Mount St. Helens is in the south, uh, southwestern area of Washington State, which is the most northwestern state in the United States. Uh, there were ash fallouts in Washington state of between two inches and five inches, with between half an inch and two inches falling in some parts of neighboring states such as Oregon as well. But there were half an inch falls of ash as far away as Oklahoma. 
Have a look at a map of the United States if you don't know uh, where Oklahoma is, but it's not very close to Washington in the slightest. And as we mentioned, there were falls in uh, five of the different provinces of Canada as well. So uh, this absolutely astonishing eruption of Mount St. Helens, which you might remember if you were around in 1980, uh, taking place back in 1984 years ago, commencing on the 27th of March and coming to a culmination on the 18th of May, 1980. You're listening to 106.9 Tune FM. We'll take another quick song break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about the disappearance of Azaria Chamberlain as we move our analysis of the year 1980 back home to Australia. uh, And we talk about potentially one of the most famous or infamous uh, events in Australian history, certainly recently anyway. You're listening to 106.9 Tune FM, and this is a quick song break. I'll see you shortly. You've been listening to Throwback Thursday 1980. Elsewhere in 1980, post-it notes were officially introduced to US stores during April. The innovative product featured a square yellow notepad that had a lightweight and sticky adhesive strip on the back of each note, making it removable. The product was created by the 3M Corporation in 1974 by scientists Spencer Silver and Art Fry. Silver had created the adhesive earlier, and Fry came up with the idea to use the adhesive on a note. The notes were then market tested in 1978 under the name Press and Peel. By 1980, interest in the product increased and they were officially added to shelves in stores across the United States. You're listening to 106.9 Sheen FM. This is It's Still Rock and Roll to Me by Billy Joel.
You're listening to Throwback Thursday 1980. John Lennon, Mount St. Helen, and Azaria Chamberlain. You are indeed listening to Throwback Thursday here on 106.9 Tune FM, where we're going to move on to a, uh, a very tragic event in Australian history now. Uh, as we continue to look through the year 1980, and that is, of course, the disappearance and ultimately uh, death of young Azaria Chamberlain. Uh, if you weren't around or if you haven't heard the story before, Azaria Chamberlain was a two-month-old baby girl, uh, and she was at Uluru uh, in the Northern Territory, obviously, on the night of the 17th of August 1980, uh, when she was taken by a dingo and her body was never found. Uh, the tragic side, the even more tragic side of the story is that her parents, Lindy and Michael, after reporting that she had been taken from their tent by a dingo, uh, Lindy was tried for murder and spent more than three years in prison. She was eventually released when a piece of Azaria's clothing was found near a known dingo lair and new inquests were opened. In 2012, it was not until 2012, 32 years after Azaria's death, that the Chamberlain's version of events was officially supported by a coroner. An initial inquest that was held in Alice Springs had supported the parents' claim and was highly critical of the police investigation. Uh, the findings of the inquest were broadcast live on television. It became a very, very famous uh, moment in Australian history, most notably uh, the phrase, a dingo ate my baby. N numerous uh, pop culture references have been made uh, um, to that, uh, that statement. Uh, the story has been made into a TV movie, actually, actually called Evil Angels, uh, which was released outside of Australia. If you are outside of Australia, it is called A Cry in the Dark, as well as a TV miniseries and uh, the inspiration for a concept album by the Australian band The Paradise Motel. Um, there was... It's, it's so tragic that there was such a case against uh, Lindy Chamberlain. The, the Crown originally alleged that Lindy Chamberlain had cut Azaria's throat in the front seat of the family car, hiding the baby's body in a large camera case. She then, according to the proposed reconstruction of the crime, rejoined the group of campers around a campfire and fed one of her sons a can of baked beans before going to the tent and raising the cry that a dingo had taken the baby. It was alleged that she then later disposed of, disposed of the body. She spent three years in prison on those charges and her husband Michael was also charged as an accessory to that alleged murder, which it was not until 2012 that uh, the Chamberlain's version of events were officially supported by the coroner. That's 32 years. And while they did, they uh, Lindy was released from prison after further evidence came to light that suggested that there may be have may have been uh, doubt about uh, the the Crown's version of events. Uh, that that uh, did not become uh, the supported truth until 32 years later. Uh, one of the most tragic and uh, covered and famous events in um, the history of Australia. Uh, absolutely, really tragic, but um, perhaps 
perhaps uh, in in a bit of a dark twist of fate, it's been turned into morbid comedy material as well, particularly for American TV programs such as Seinfeld, Buffy the Vampire Slayer and The Simpsons. Um, It's quite tragic to think that after such a... uh, um, a tragic event that that that's that that is the case, but I suppose that that's the way um, that satire works. Um, in terms of where they are today, unfortunately, Michael Chamberlain has passed away uh, a few years ago. He had a long battle with leukemia and passed away aged seventy-two on the 9th of January, uh, twenty seventeen. Uh, the National Museum of Australia actually has a collection based on the disappearance of Azaria Chamberlain. If you are fascinated by uh, this this time in Australian history, it has a collection of more than 250 items related to the disappearance of Azaria Chamberlain, uh, which Lindy herself has helped to document. Items include courtroom sketches, camping equipment, a piece of the dashboard from the Chamberlain family's car, outfits worn by Lindy Chamberlain, uh, the number from her prison door, and the black dress that was worn by Azaria. The National Library of, of Australia also has a small collection of items, such as Azaria's birth records and her hospital identification bracelet, as well as a manuscript collection, which includes around 20,000 documents, including some of the Chamberlain family's correspondence and a large number of letters from the general public. So an event that had such a profound impact on Australian popular culture and and Australian history in general, that the tragic uh, disappearance on the 17th of August, 1980 of young Azaria Chamberlain, who we now can say uh, legally confirmed by the coroner was taken by a dingo while camping with her parents at uh, Uluru. Uh, Really tragic story. And that took place back in 1980. You're listening to 106.9 Tune FM. That is going to draw to a conclusion uh, this episode of Throwback Thursday. We are hoping next week that we will be able to have some guests on the show. But as per usual, and as I'm sure is the case with the 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 start of a new trimester here at UNE, uh, plenty of people are quite busy. And so um, we do have to work around people's schedules, of course. So um, a big thank you to the, the people who considered joining us on the show tonight. Um, Unfortunately, in the end, we couldn't uh, get that done. But uh, join us next week as we move on to 1981. And uh, we will be talking about the the revelation of the AIDS virus, which was first discovered and uh, revealed to be a potential pandemic back in 1981 as well. So we'll be talking about that next week. Hopefully we will be joined by a guest who has uh, a really uh, informative take on the topic. So uh, don't forget to join us at 5 o'clock next Thursday evening. My name has been Jake. You're listening to 106.9 Tune FM. We're going to get right back into the regular programming, including uh, all the best music. So don't go anywhere. Uh, Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Throwback Thursday 1980, helping Tune FM celebrate 50 years. Join us at the same time next week as we discuss the identification of the AIDS virus in 1981. You're listening to 106.9 Tune FM, your home of student-powered radio for the last 50 years.